Welcome back to another episode. As always, I am so excited to be here, so excited to share this time with you, learn together, heal together, all of the above. Um, This week's episode is so special and I am so excited for you to listen because honestly, looking back and editing this episode, I felt like I was talking to an older sister, a role model, learning from them. Um, and really taking in all of their wisdom. So this week, I interviewed Anika Sharma, who is a podcaster, an author, and an all-rounder just superstar and creative, and chatted with her about her creative journey, and not just that, but also navigating motherhood, which is something we've never chatted about on the podcast before. And I And I think this conversation was of such value to myself as a young woman, even though I'm not a mother um, and I'm years and years away from that decision, but still like listening to someone older really share their experiences and insights has been so powerful. And so I really hope this episode serves you guys that you can, that you can take a second for yourself, grab some chai, sit down and really tune in and listen to what Anika has to say because, because I learned so much and I really hope you do too. So with that, I hope you enjoyed the rest of this episode. Hey, Anika, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. And thank you so much for being here. Um, I know we have a lot of common threads kind of going throughout both of our lives. So I'm so excited to sit down, have a chat with you and learn more from you about your journey with being an author, a podcast host, and also a new mother now. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. It's a long time coming. I feel like guys, we've just been hitting and missing each other constantly. So I am just finally excited to make it happen and to chat with you. No, 100%. Um, for a little bit of context, how I came across Annika was, one, if you know, she's a co-host on an amazing podcast that represents South Asian experiences in, a most, in the most beautiful way called That They See Spark. So I came across your page through That They See Spark. And then I know we got talking and you were like, wait, I went to Penn State too. And I was like, this is a great connection. I know you grew up in State College, small world. And so from that journey itself, you've had so many creative projects that you've contributed to. What's that journey been like for you? How have you got to the point you are today? Where did inspiration come for those two spaces that you're involved in now? And tell us a little bit more about that. I think that, I guess we have to go back to the beginning. Like you mentioned, I grew up in State College. My dad's a professor at Penn State. So I grew up in State College and went to Penn State because that faculty discount is awesome for (laughs) uh, educations. And so while I was there, I actually majored in healthcare majors, so biobehavioral health and neuropsychology, and I had double minored also in, in healthcare and um, or in health sciences, and eventually went on to get my master's in education and early childhood special ed. I wanted to be a doctor, wanted to be a nurse. My dad and my mom were like, you should be a writer. And I was like, no, I think you're wrong. So obviously they were totally right. And I, as I was going into my master's, I wrote my first book. And of course, it was a rom-com that was, or a romance that was prompted by, of course, a breakup. And so I wrote that book and started looking for an agent as soon as I graduated with my master's and got one within the year and then got my book deal three months later and released my first book in 2015. It's no longer on shelves now, but that prompted the second book deal um, in 2017 for three books, which is the one that's now releasing with Love Chai and Other Four Letter Words and Sugar Spice Can't Play Nice and the third one I'm working on now. And then in all of this, um, my podcast got started as well after I started working in New York because I went back and I got my MPH um, in maternal and child health and then started working at Cornell Medicine. And, you know, all of these different things that kind of weave through. And I was thinking about this the other day. What is it that 
is the commonality between all of those random things that I find myself being pulled to. And it often comes down to communications in the sense that I love words and I love creativity and I love utilizing it for a greater good. I'm never content with just talking, just writing. It needs to have some sort of impact or meaning behind it. And I think that ultimately that's always been the seed that's grown the podcast, the seed that's grown all of my writing, the seed that's grown my entire career, wherever it is and whatever it does is just to have a greater impact. I love that. And I think what I'm hearing from you is that you did so many things that seemingly in that moment seemed unrelated. Like you had so many pivots in your career. You're like, okay, I'm graduating with my master's, but I also just released a book and I'm also going through a breakup. So that's a personal struggle that I'm dealing with. And I think in the moments of actually going through certain things in life, it's hard for us to see from ourselves like 10 years down the line um, to a point where now when you have like a, like a synopsis almost of your life in front of you, you're like, oh wait, this is why this existed. And this is why this happened. And this is what it led me to. Um, and a lot of that for you sounds like has been meaning making, whether that's through your words in the podcast, whether that's in the books that you're writing. Um, and both of those things are in different spheres, right? You spoke about romance and then the podcast is obviously more focused on social issues. How did you kind of throughout your journey pick what meaning you wanted to make out of your words and then start to narrow that into, okay, well, this is the purpose of what I want to work towards. You know how people always say everything happens for a reason and mm -hmm. sometimes they're like, I really want to smack you in the face for saying <laughs> then other times you're like, okay, it kind of makes sense. I really think that's a retrospective look. Everything happens for a reason, but you can only say it when you have enough distance from it or when you're looking back on it. It's very hard to say that looking forward. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because the dots do connect. Like you were just saying, looking back over my career, it does make sense now that I look at it. But at the time I was just kind of following what my heart was saying or you know what my inside and my gut was saying um which sometimes didn't necessarily align with what the logical next step was mm -hmm. and it sometimes meant taking a little bit of a risk and a little bit of a chance on myself so there's a lot of like confidence building in the process but i think that some of the things that i found myself in are things i've stumbled upon and things that i felt called to afterwards so they weren't necessarily planned you know whenever you're planning like a promotion at work or something you can kind of you have that your sights on the title and you have your sights on maybe on the salary and you're thinking about what criteria you need to meet in order to be able to get that thing it's not always like that I feel like for me it's never been that way it's always been like oh that sounds really nice and then if I think about it for a really long time that probably means I'm going to do it mm. because it means that it's not a fleeting thought and which takes some level of self-awareness as well so when I look at that, I feel like, you know, with romance, for example, I kind of fell into it when I was writing the story. It was a cathartic way to get over a breakup, but it happened to become a romance story. I, when I wrote my book, I didn't realize that that was going to be a romance and then it happened to fall into that. And then you, I kind of got my next deal based on the fact that I could write a romance and they saw little pieces of humor in it. So they were like, maybe they can become a rom-com. Um, so it's sort of had a natural evolution. A lot of these things have been like, holy cow, I stumbled on it. Oh, okay, there was actually a door here and maybe that's a path that I need to take now. Um, and so it's never been very smooth and it's never been me like gracefully stepping into what I need to do. It's always been like me like tripping and falling into a wall and then having the wall collapse and realizing there's a whole new room. And I love that because like happy coincidences are the best, right? Like you don't expect to do something well and then you accidentally end up being good at it. And you're like, wait, this might be 
what I'm meant to do, which is yeah, amazing. Exactly, exactly. I mean, even with writing, like I didn't realize that was a common denominator in everything I did. And mm -hmm. the words were the common denominator in everything I did. Even with majors in psychology and biobehavioral health, those are things that fed into why I was watching people. That's what interested me at the end of the day, figuring out why they tick and that's what serves me in writing. And so, you know, it's all kind of always feeding into the same pipeline. It's just that I didn't realize that at the time because they felt so disconnected. Yeah, and I feel like I unanticipated, but like the biggest tip I'm taking away from whatever you're saying is like, if you don't know where to start with your passions, like start by just observing yourself and just look back at how you've evolved in the last few years. And like, chances are there will be things that will stand out and will keep coming up as like recurring themes for you to look at and say, oh, wait, if I keep doing this, if I keep dreaming the same entire, the same exact dream, then it probably exists for a reason. It probably means that I have an interest and an inclination in that space. And maybe that's how you start taking your first steps. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I do all these workshops on um, writing a mission statement for your life. And whenever I say that, it's much more than this is what I want to do, or this is what I want to become. It's more about who are you already? What values do you hold? Selves? What are the five words you'd use to describe your entire mission in your life? How do you get there and determine that? And then let that guide you going forward. And if you do something like that, sometimes you end up in different industries, you end up making pivots, whatever. But if you use that as sort of your North Star, then you end up going where you're meant to go. And so for me, it's always been about a love of words, but using those words, like you said, to make meaning and to build community and to advocate for others and to provide some sort of support for people that don't have that. And that's translated through like everything I've done so far in some way, um, even if it's meant jumping an industry or even if that's meant finding a, a niche and then trying to build that out, it's always been within that same capacity and that's always been the mission. So that kind of leads me wherever I need to go. If it's aligned, it's it's perfect. I'm hearing you talk a lot about how you've started using words, right? Like this meaning making journey that you've had in different capacities and how you're empowering others and helping them see, using your words to essentially either tell a story or help others see their story. When it came to your own words though, how did you maybe start to create worlds that reflected your own experience as a brown woman, whether that was the boxes that you were put in, whether that was the things you were told you could or couldn't do. Um, was that writing or were those words kind of like a catharsis for you navigating what it was like to be a brown woman growing up in State College, Pennsylvania, which I will say isn't the most diverse of um, boroughs in, in this country. Talk to me about that. I'd say so. I think it was really cathartic. When I look back, even the podcast has been a really cathartic experience. And it's been more than that, a really meaningful learning experience, because I think, like you said, it hasn't been a very diverse experience growing up in State College. And so when I look around, I didn't, I grew up in a really homogenous Indian community. So yeah, we had variations in terms of like how traditional our families were or whatever. But every single one of our dads went to IIT. That's how they became professors at Penn State. And I really did not realize that IIT was like the cream of the crop in India because that's just our standard back home because that's just what everybody does. Everybody teaches, that's just what they do. And they're all engineers for some reason. So, you know, we, like you just kind of grow really accustomed to that and you don't realize that communities exist outside of that, outside of that SES, outside of those environments. You find Indian kids who grew up with other Indian kids and you're like, oh my God, what was that like? You know, I had friends who went to high schools that, or 50% South Asian and you're sitting you're sitting there thinking, I don't even know what that would be like because I grew up with five in a class of 600, 600. So 
you know, it was definitely cathartic. And I think that a lot of the experiences I draw on are from places of, oh my gosh, I wish this was different or, oh my gosh, this is universal, um, you know, in terms of, for example, the racism or the body images or the social issues. But some of that is also really bringing the beauty and the everydayness of being brown to my books and to my podcast. Because the fact is we can't take it off. We can't just shake off our identities and we can't shake off our histories. So in that case, why not own it? Why not, instead of always writing stories from places of trauma, write stories from places of beauty and joy and show us living our lives the way we do. Whenever we walk into our family weddings or whenever we see our friends and our group of brown friends who just get it, we're not sitting there and just trauma dumping. Oftentimes we're laughing about everything that everyone else is laughing about, love, joy, loss, you know, all of these different things are experiencing the same things. And that's where I want to write from. That's what I want to illustrate at the end of the day is the fact that we're very human. This human experience is not that different. And I love that because it's like you said, right? It's not just about expressing or giving a spotlight to the things that most people already know exist. It's also about like the small mundane things that you don't even realize make you desi, but make you desi. Like I was yeah. reading your book that recently came out and in that I loved the whole idea of how much you focused on like chai or just like the process of your protagonist just making a cup of chai. And yeah. I don't know why that process for me stood out so much, right? But again, I think as a reader then as, and as a South Asian reader, that's what you relate to. You don't relate to like, okay, everyone experiences the romance, right? Like everyone experiences the Diwalis and the Holies, like that's part of it. But it's like the mundane tiny things that really make that book exactly what you what you want your audience to feel, yeah. which is so powerful. And I think I, I want to go back to what you mentioned about you came from a household of fathers and uncles who went to IIT, like stereotypical engineers, like a very stereotypically like Indian career path to then you pivoting and now being an author, um, being like a creative, right? And taking something that was a little more unconventional. One, how was that, how was that entire process for you to navigate as a woman of color? Did you find it restrictive? Um, did you find it liberating? How did you navigate the dynamics of what you're socially supposed to be doing? It takes a lot of unlearning to be able to get to the place where you can own the skills that are not necessarily always valued in your community. But on the opposite side, it has been really liberating because I find myself building more courage the more courageous things I do, right? Mm -hmm. So the more risk I take, the more risk willing I become. And it's just kind of, it all kind of grows in multitudes as you go. So you know, I, once you stop giving an F a little bit, you stop giving an F a lot. So it's kind of great because you go to these parties and they're like, oh, you're still writing. And I'm like, yeah, you're still sitting here. And you're still saying the tired old, you know, the, those tired old things. Yeah. And it's kind of magical to be able to own that. And as a brown woman, to be able to write these stories is a privilege. And I realize that the stage is not big enough yet. So until it is, I'm content continuing to try to make it as big as I can and to be a part of whatever change we, we need to see. I think we expect to, when we set goals for ourselves, walk out of a room and say, okay, now I'm going to have the courage to say exactly what I do and exactly what I want and exactly what I've achieved, as opposed to, like you said, it's more of a process. And you know, it's it's just, it's so funny because you were talking and I kept realizing, I kept hearing the words black and white, black and white. And it really is kind of like that. Like we yeah. think of success as this like successful, not successful, overnight mm -hmm. success or failure. It's nothing in the middle ever. Yeah. We never think about the fact that it's the small baby steps or the fact that the status quo can change. Like I've been a full-time creative now for oh, give or take nine to 10 months now. Mm. 
And there's a very real chance I'll have to go back to work soon just because family circumstances have changed. Not necessarily because anything was successful or failure as a creative, but more just that life might require me and my obligations now to my family might require me to run back to work for a while. Mm -hmm. And if I had said this to myself six months ago, I would have said, oh my God, I failed. And there's still the mornings where I wake up and think, oh God, I failed, didn't I? But they have nothing to do with one another. And it's not as black and white as success and failure. It's like need versus you can still step back or your path is windy, you know? And we just forget that so easily, especially with things like social media. We just look at people and we think, how did they get there? Oh my gosh, they, you know, they had that lucky reel or they had that, you know, just overnight success. But the truth is, is most of these people have been hustling for years yeah. to get what they want. Pivoting to a little bit more about what we were talking about as stereotypes we experience as women in the community. One, outside of your career, whatever you do, whether it's like, oh, you're a doctor, like stereotypically or whatever that may look like, um, is you have to be a mother. And mm -hmm. motherhood is a huge part, sure, across the world of in all cultures. But I think in Indian communities, I've noticed it so much more only because I came from a family where my mom gave up her career like 23 years ago to raise me. Or I've also had family members and other women in my family who've done that same thing. That really sells this idea of motherhood as central to one, our community, but also prioritizes motherhood over the mother herself. So I guess with all of that, um, and now with you being a new mom, which is so exciting, congratulations. Um, and you also exploring this new career path for yourself. Have How has that experience been in terms of feeling the guilt of pursuing something that makes you happy and not maybe making motherhood the end all be all that we're usually expected to make it? Oh my God, this is such a good question. <laughs> because it's something that I think about and struggle with every day. You're so right, firstly, that culturally everybody puts play such an emphasis on motherhood that no one even has the space to consider whether they really want it or not. Mm. I think it's just expected to the point of, you know, someone in, I know a lot of people in their twenties who have reached out and especially with the podcast and who have said, my God, I feel like I'm racing because the clock is ticking on whenever I become a mom and nobody's ever asked them, do you really want to become a mom? Do you want to prefer, do you want to make that choice in the first place? Or is this something that you're just sort of surrendering yourself to because all of society is kind of expecting you to do it? Um, and truthfully, I've always wanted to be a mom, but I can say that the shift exists. You know, it's funny because I was telling you off mic that I went to this wedding over the weekend. And for the first event, I actually showed up a little bit earlier than my husband did with the baby because she was still napping. So I said, you know, why don't you take care of her and I'll go. And I hadn't seen some of these family members in four years. And I understand that they're very excited about seeing Janu, my daughter, um, because she's five months and chubby and cute. But <laughs> I, before they would even give me a hug or in the middle of the hug, they wouldn't have even said hi. And they would just say, where's the baby? Or they would say, you know, how's the baby? And I get so many questions these days, text messages that are like, how's Janu? And then, oh, by the way, how are you? And it's always like a, a second thought. And I realize that it doesn't sound like a very big deal, maybe to somebody who doesn't have children, but I think that it does feed into this narrative that motherhood comes first and the, the mothering comes first and not necessarily the mother. And that's a willful sacrifice. That's completely fine. It's something that we do naturally. And I've noticed even I have 
completely been fine with it most of the time, but there are moments where you're really having a hard time and people are like, you know, they just forget that you exist. Now you're a mom, you're forgettable. Mm-hmm. And that's something to struggle with, especially being in a creative career where there isn't something like HR to climb through and to tell you what your next step should be. Creativity and creative careers rely on you yourself mm-hmm. and selling yourself in addition to selling whatever creative product you're putting out there. But then there's also this weird kind of dichotomy between like, okay, you're selling yourself, you're selling your product. And then also you don't matter. So no one's going to buy that thing or, you know, buy into you. And it's kind of a struggle trying to remind people that you still exist and that you're still important. Um, And it's something I've kind of struggled with a bit with, with mothering and with motherhood as a whole. It's, you know, you feel bad wanting to step back, step back and sometimes, you know, say like, I still matter. I still want to do this thing I love. Yeah. And I feel like maybe that feeds a little bit more into why there's so many women in our, like my generation now that are scared to become mothers, because even if they do want children, their first thought is I spend years of my life building a career for myself, building an identity for myself that the second I give birth to my child, chances are is going to have to take a backseat or completely go away. And then your identity completely changes from being who you were for yourself to who you are relative to someone else. Um, And I guess this is like a question that's coming to my like top of mind, because I know you kind of talked about it a little bit, but talk to me a little bit more about how you knew that you wanted to be a mother or versus how you know that maybe motherhood isn't for you. And I ask that because a lot of times it's easy to think, okay, maybe I do want a child, you know, like maybe this is something I see for myself. But then when you detach from it, you don't necessarily know if it's your own independent thought or if it's a socialization that you've had for years and years of your life that's prepared you to this one point where you're going to be, you know, a mother at some point. So what was that differentiating factor for you? Or what's something that you used to navigate in your early 20s to know whether or not that's something you wanted? That's such a great question. I think that in my 20s, I always wanted to be a mom. I was working with kids. So that was the key thing. And for me, I was in a relationship from when I was 18 until I was 25 with one person. And he was obviously not the right person for me because I didn't end up with him. But when I was with him at 18, 19, 20, I was like, I want to be a young mom. I want to be married by 23 with my first kid, 23, 24. I want to be young. I want to be like running around with my kids. I started working with children at 23 and that age got pushed back very quickly, mm. 25 or 26. And <laughs> I, that might sound a little bit better because I might recognize the weight that having a child carries. Mm. And then it got pushed to 29 and then it got pushed to 31. And then it was like, okay, I met my husband at 30, married my husband at 33. And then after that, I was like, all right, give us a year, you know, give us some time. Um, And that came too with a phase where I wasn't sure I wanted to be a mom because the pandemic had happened. And during that time, I really got into my head. And that was what we were alluding to about this sort of, is it a socialization thing or is it an independent thought thing? And I was like, I love the fact that we're traveling. I love my life right now. I love the fact that I've built, at that point in my 30s is when writing and podcasting and all of my purpose felt like it was being met. So I was like, I feel like I'm still getting to know me at, at my essence. How am I supposed to be adding a child to this mix? And there was a year where I was like, oh my God. And I didn't know if I wanted it or not. And a lot of it was watching a ton of women that I knew, obviously through the pandemic, it was an extreme mm-hmm. situation go through motherhood feeling 
really lost um, and watching women who had sidelined themselves in a way that they didn't even know how to answer the question, how are you? Because they would always answer with the default, my husband and my child. And I'd be like, no, you. And they'd be like, I don't know what that means. You know? And so yeah. I was looking at that and I, I was really afraid. But I think what got me to come around was finally realizing that just that instinctive feeling, like I am a mother in so many regards to so many of my friends and my family and that I did want to carry that on my own and that I was finally ready to take on a lot of the hardships that come on with motherhood, the sleeplessness, the tax, all of that is a lot worse than anybody can ever tell you. But in mentally, I was a lot more prepped and I felt ready for it. And I was like, okay, this is actually what I want. Um, and I don't know how to explain that other than instinct, but I also understand when people say I don't really have a maternal instinct and I don't want kids. I fully get that. And I fully think that that's okay. Um, because some people might change their mind and some won't, but like I said, it did, you know, like you said, it depends on that independent thought. It really, it, you need to take the space to make that decision mm -hmm. for you. And it, I think that that is something that people really have to examine. And I would encourage every woman to do that. I would encourage everybody to take a moment and just let people back up a little bit on the pressure um, so that they can make that decision for themselves because it is a heavy one and it is a hard one to me. Yeah, and then, and like you mentioned, there's a weight that comes with not only carrying a child and then motherhood, but then also a weight that comes with trying to decide whether or not that's a decision that's right for you and by extension, right for your potential future child. Um, the child can be happy without a mother being happy. And when it comes to that headspace and when it comes to you starting to develop like a new vision of who you are, the way you look at yourself, has that changed? How has that changed? How do you look at yourself differently? Um, and that guilt that maybe always wants to take the front seat every single time you want to do something for yourself, how has that kind of evolved over the past year or so? Wow. Um, I'm still in the throes of it. I'll be completely honest. I don't feel like I have it figured out at all right now. Um, part of that is that you're overtaken by the love that you have for this little bit, this tiny little human that depends on you for everything. But a lot of that is decision fatigue. So the reason that you can't feel comfortable running full speed toward your career, even while having a child, sometimes is just because you're just so damn tired. Like, and it's not tired, physically exhausting. You know, people were like, oh yeah, you know, is your baby waking up 12 times a night? No, my baby's been sleeping through the night, actually. It's more just that I'm making a thousand decisions a day and I'm so tired from them that occasionally my husband will be like, hey, what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, I don't even care throw something at me and I'll eat it. <laughs> um, because, and that space of exhaustion makes it really difficult to find clarity. And that's been the hardest thing I think for me is that it makes it really tough to objectively make the right decisions um, or to even hear your gut because you're just sort of like everything feels dulled and slower and you're a little tired. And that's not to rat on motherhood at all. For the record, it is the most incredible <laughs> experience. Like I, I'm amazed by the smallest things. The world seems more brightly colored now. I find so much more joy in small things. I put my phone down so much more willingly and so much more often than I ever did because I love things that I never thought I would love as much as I do. Like, you know, so that, that kind of beauty is just unmatched, but there is a lot of murkiness because you're so tired that you can't hear your own gut. You can't hear your own mind. 
um, try to tell you to make the right decisions. And so when it comes down to your career, it comes down to making decisions for you, you're like, I, I don't know what's right. I don't know where to go because I can't, I can't hear myself right now. And, and that's definitely been a challenging space to be in. Um, and, you know, that can be, it can be hard mentally sometimes, especially if you're someone who's ambitious and someone who's achievement driven, um, because that natural slowdown is like, oh my God, I'm totally tanking at this, you know, and that, that can be hard. That can be hard sometimes. I guess all of this fits into you maybe trying and totally correct me if I'm wrong, but it goes into you trying to be the perfect mother or socially expected to be the best that we can and also provide and also be good at our careers and then also want to like get a promotion um, and do all of these things. And there's specifically with motherhood, a lot of stereotypes and labels that get put on mothers um, of how they're expected to be and how they're expected to achieve. How have you navigated those labels and those stereotypes? And I'm sure it's gotten exhausting. So how has that kind of fed into your own internal dialogue and how you've felt about motherhood? You learn, maybe not quickly, but you learn every day what boundaries look like and how much you need to set them in place. It's all talk until you become a mom. I think I, I and I say that in, in, a, in a funny way, not that, you know, if someone doesn't become a mom, they're not going to figure it out because they will. But it's more just that I personally do not think that I understood what a hard boundary was until I became a mom, especially with myself and with my mental health and exactly what you're talking about, the pressure, because I think inherently women by society are kind of pushed to see how much they can take before they finally break line or break. And I think that it takes a couple of breaks to recognize, oh my God, this is not a good thing. And I say that, you know, with looking at, for example, social media, I had this meltdown last week where I saw multiple pieces of good news coming out of people that I consider good friends. And that's normally a place I'd feel a lot of joy for, but I felt so behind because I haven't been able to work on anything I love doing mm -hmm. all that much lately. And these people felt like they were taking strides ahead and just crushing the game and being in places I wanted to be in, but couldn't right now. And I also felt terrible because I didn't want to resent this baby for slowing my life down because the baby's the biggest blessing I've had too. So all of it together, I was just like, I looked around at Sanjeev and I just cried and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to be all the things to everybody all the time. And he said, you don't have to be all the things to everybody all the time. You're already a great mother and you're already a successful person. So this season of life where you slow down is just a season. You just need to focus on the fact that it is a temporary slowdown, but that once you get your bearings back and once you start adding things to your plate slowly, you will lurch ahead again because that's just who you are. And it just takes time because you forget who you are in all of this too, a little bit. And I think with society and the pressure, there is absolutely pressure to be everything. All these labels do exist. And it's really hard to consider yourself a multi-hyphenate when you're not really multi-hyphenating at anything. Um, <laughs> as a mom, like you're really just momming and surviving. Mm. Um, and you don't know how to really vocalize that, you know, mm. and you don't know how to say like, I'm just surviving. and I don't have the mental bandwidth mm. to deal. So for me, a lot of that was like, I've stopped the doom scroll. I finally stopped the doom scroll. That's what it took. Um, was I couldn't, if I couldn't be happy for people, I wasn't going to get on social media. Mm. Um, 
So I do it only to put up stories so that the Instagram algorithm doesn't hate me forever. But other than that, I have really not been engaging with much. Um, I've kept my text messages and stuff to limited times during the day. So I don't feel overwhelmed. I have set writing times during the day that now I have accountability partners who I meet. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of different moving pieces in it. and it sounds like I'm trying to complain or use it as therapy session. And I apologize. It's just more just that there is like, like a lot of murkiness and there's a lot of ways to find your way out of it too. Yeah. Um, but it is a big step and it is a lot of, you know, I'm only five months into this. So this is five months of figuring out what works and what doesn't. Yeah. First of all, thank you for being so open and vulnerable. I'm like so happy to hear you finally have a space for yourself to like talk about these things and it's awesome to actually i didn't realize because we've been talking for a bit now so i didn't realize how that she was only five months old in my mind she was a year old because you've been crushing it and i've been seeing you do all these things and achieve things and like make our meetings or just outside of this as well and i'm like oh my god she's definitely seasoned. that's why my question earlier was okay like this year and a half like how has it been no, she's been around for five months. Five months old. Yeah, five months. I, yeah, it's it's been a lot of finding boundaries, honestly. Like, and I realized that it was because I was really pushing forward the idea that moms can do it all when the truth was I was doing it not feeling great. And so I was like, what am I pushing out there? And so I remember actually eventually writing a post about it, pulling a post I had written, reposting it and saying, here's how I actually felt. This event was absolutely amazing, but I didn't feel great. And I don't want to push that out there and say, this is how motherhood should be. So, you know, it, it comes with a lot of finding out where you stand on things and seeing like, you know, every day seeing how you feel. And that, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that um, graphic about like, this is what bringing your all looks like every day or something. It's like a series of different circles and the circle is filled at different levels. Mm. And it's kind of like, you know, if you have 40% to give and you gave 40%, then you really gave 100%, you know, and that kind of idea that really came to be and came to like, it helped me understand that a lot more, I think, in the last five months, what that meant. Because to me, showing up always meant 100%. And now I'm understanding it's, it's not quite like that every day. And yeah. that's a beautiful lesson to learn across life. Yeah, honestly, like this is, I feel like, yes, you're talking about this in context to motherhood, but I think that's like so relevant also outside of it. Like, it's true. Every day I will wake up and some days I will want to stay in bed till 8 a.m. and not 6.30 a.m. And that's okay because that's how full my bar is. Like, sure, having that internal bar for yourself is so important, but then also like communicating it to community is so important because that's how you're able to gather the support of people that you need that support from. At some points, you're going to be in a state of flow. And in other parts of your life, you're not going to be in a state of flow. And when you're not in a state of flow is really when you have to push through and just have a blind faith almost, not just in yourself, but also in, I don't know, whatever is out there and be like, okay, this, this too shall pass. And this is just like a learning phase of me sowing a seed for what's going to grow 10, 5, 15 years down the line. And I, I love what you covered in those past few minutes. So how have you started doing things to fill up your own cup and start healing? Like what has been helping? How have you been getting out of the rut? How have you been snapping out of any unhealthy thoughts that you've been having um, and then bouncing back to your potential? 
this is going to sound so cliche, but I think the routine and it's hard to find a routine as a new mom, but it's also sometimes it's hard to find a routine as a person because you're just sitting there and you're like, oh, well, everything changes day to day, right? It's like that, exactly that 40% or 80%, like what's going to go today? It might be the routine anyway. But I think if you can narrow down like two or three things every day that make you feel like you, then for me, one of them is prayer. The second one is my cup of coffee in the morning because I just cannot function without the cup of coffee. And, um, you know, the third one's like small things. Sometimes it's a hug from Sanjeev as soon as we wake up. Other times it's like just putting a face mask on, whatever it is in those moments that like roots me down and lets me get started with my day. So finding those routine things has helped a lot. But I think also finding the time and not feeling guilty about it. Um, has been huge and that once again comes down to my partner i think that the fact that sanjeev will say like i'm taking the baby for two hours you do whatever you want for those two hours they're yours and he does it almost every day so ultimately you know as long as that baby is fed and i have taken care of whatever i need to take care of that he can't do um we're good to go and that has been beautiful because sometimes that means I'm working on the podcast. Other times it means I'm writing. There have been days where I've just binged a show and been like, I didn't move. And he's like, I found you where I left you. And I'm like, I did not. <laughs> um, and it's been fine. But those are the things that, you know, have kept me feeling like me um, and have really helped through some of the darker periods too, is just doing a little bit of whatever it is that makes you feel like you. And that comes with a caveat too. If you're under a level 10 stressor, you need a level 10 fixer. You can't expect a level two, a series of level twos to fix what a level 10 stressor is doing to you. Mm. So, you know, making sure that your self-care is proportional to the stressors that you're under mm. is, is really important. And so, you know, whether that means an extra hour of sleep or whether that means going to therapy, whatever it is, you know, you have to do it proportionally. And so those are the things that make me feel like I'm filling it my cup again. I love that. A face mask isn't going to fix all your problems is what I'm hearing. Yes. Yes. Real self-care is far bigger than the small things. The small things are important, but I think that the deep dives are equally as important. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think that's such a good note to end this episode on and to like take all of the insights that you've given us in this like last hour of us chatting. I think it's like, yes, you shared your experience about motherhood and even though I'm I'm not a mother right now, I feel like so much of it I can learn from and take in and really implement in the way I see myself and also view the world and culture we come from. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and being so vulnerable. Thank you for having me and for serving as my listening ear for the day <laughs> as I try to make sense of all of this. I mean, I hope that everybody gets something out of it outside of just the, oh my God, I'm in the throes of it. But you know, <laughs> there is ultimately, you know, the fact that you are, we're all kind of working towards these different destinations at our own different paces. There has to be self-care involved. There has to be communication involved. There has to be some level of self-awareness and being able to follow your gut and trust that you're doing the right thing for yourself at the end of the day. Um, and drowning out all that noise, like you said, all the societal pressure is just mm -hmm. absolutely not worth it. And in, in, in the end of all of this, um, whether it's motherhood or whether it's going to wear something in your career. Yeah, no, I love that. But thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing all of your wonderful experiences. Um, and I will put all of your links and that Daisy Spark and all of Monica's books in the description of this episode. Um, and I will see everyone next week.